Amen. Tonight is going to uh, be the fourth and final at this point um, part of the series I've been doing the last several weeks entitled Home Builders. And I remind you the verse that's kind of been the context of this is 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So again, the point, part of the point is the building of this temple is not all on God. I have an active part to play in the process. I do not just sit back and leave it all up to Him to do all of the work. There are some things that I need to do on my part. Repeating a few things as introduction here, but Paul talks about in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is a result. It's things that are the result of the Spirit working in us. And in essence, because it's the fruit of the Spirit, it is not my responsibility to produce the fruit. It is my responsibility to participate, yield to that process. About ten days ago, in my backyard, I had scuffed it all up, raked out the dead parts of the grass, I put down fertilizer, I put down seed, and about two days ago, I started recognizing sprouts. You and I are the soil for the seed. The seed has to produce it, but we have to be the soil. And I have to, I have to do my due diligence to help facilitate the process. I tried to, I, 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 I read and a couple of, Brother Alan McGuckin's been my go-to, uh, uh, expert for all things yard work. And I learned this from him and I've read a little bit more and, 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 and you put that seed down and, and the first 10 to 14 days you water it every single day. I decided three or four years ago, I think it was, to see what, what would happen if I didn't water it. 10 to 14 days. And I found out what happens if I didn't water it 10 to 14 days. It was a waste of time and money. That's why when we come to church or we go to a Bible study or a, 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 a an oikos gathering or some other setting where the Word of God is being spoken, there may the, the issue is not the seed. The issue is, is the ground that it's being planted and fertile, and then is there some sunlight being given, is there some watering being done, so that the seed has the ability to begin to produce. So there is fruit of the Spirit, but also, Paul says in a couple of places, there are some things that we are to put on. Put them on, just just put them on. Don't pray about them, don't go on a 21-day fast for them, don't, don't wait on God to do it. You put it on. And so the verses we've used the last four weeks, and we're going to finish up covering the remainder of, of the things that Peter talks about. He says, there is, there is given unto us. It has been 
all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given. And we have some exceeding great and precious promises. But then he says, besides this, so we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been given these exceeding great and precious promises, but we are now to give diligence. We are put to put forth effort and focus to add something to that. And so we've covered the last several weeks, and if you've missed any of them, I would encourage you to go back and Watch or listen, and I'm happy to share the notes with you if you weren't here. But he says, the first thing is we everything starts with faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the... He that cometh to God must believe. you got to believe. And so he says, add to your faith... Maybe I shouldn't wait on this. It might cause me to question my effective, the effectiveness of my teaching. Add to your faith... And to virtue, and to knowledge, and to maybe we need to go back and start over week one, and to knowledge, and to virtue. Sorry, I went too far back. To knowledge, temperance, to temperance, to patience, godliness. We are going to pick up tonight and by the help of the Lord cover the last three things that Peter says we are to add. So he says the next thing that we are to add is godliness. The word godliness means reverence, respect, or piety toward God or godliness. Adam Clark says this, Godliness is piety toward God. It is a deep, reverential, religious fear. Not only worshiping God with every becoming outward act. Not only worshiping God with outward acts. Our mouths, our hands, our lives. But adoring, loving, and magnifying Him in the heart. He said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, I've got something against you. The thing I have against you is you have left your first love. And so it's not just doing things, but it's loving and magnifying Him in the heart. The Bible exposition commentary says this, Godliness simply means God-likeness. I am supposed to be adding God-likeness. There should be an increase of God-likeness in me. Forget where I was just the other day, somewhere, Nathaniel and I, I think, were somewhere, and somebody, I don't know, somebody we knew or was a stranger or what, but referenced how much he looks like me. Not, not, every, you know, not every child favors their parents, and there's not a, 
not necessarily an expectation that you will I that you will become or look more and more like your parents. But there is one scenario where we should become more and more like our father on an an increasing basis. So it is God likeness. In the original Greek, this word meant to worship well. To worship well. To worship well. Not to just worship, but to I, I wonder if we worshiped well tonight. You see, worshiping well to me means it's more than lip service. It's more than just an outward obligatory expression. It's kind of like if I've got to, if I've got to somehow fish for a compliment from you, I don't want it. And if I feel you're fishing for a compliment from me, I ain't giving it. God's not just about our outward expression. How well am I worshiping? It described the man who was right in his relationship with God and, somebody say, and, with his fellow man. Well, we spent a lot of time focusing on that and forgetting about this. Perhaps the words reverence and piety come closer to divining this term. It is that quality of character that makes a person distinctive. I should be adding more and more distinction as a follower of Jesus Christ to my life. And not simply by some kind of outward appearance. It is that quality of character that makes a person distinctive. He lives above the petty things of life, the passions and pressures that control the lives of others. He seeks to do the will of God, and as he does, he seeks the welfare of others. Are you above the petty things of life? The passions and the pressures that everybody else is given to. We must never get the idea that godliness is an impractical thing because it is intensely practical. The godly person makes the kinds of decisions that are right and noble. He does not take an easy path simply to avoid either pain or trial. He does what is right because it is right and because it is the will of God. Are you adding God-likeness? Are you becoming more and more like Him in every aspect? I, I every now and then, I, I every now and then, I get wind of things that are that 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 are going on in the homes and families of this church and. Sometimes I get wind of it from those that are people you have a lot of trust and confidence in. And you're like, what? This, this is, this is, this is what God likeness is about. And 
I don't know what this is. There should be an increase in my life, in every aspect of my life, of God-likeness, godliness. Paul, a couple of times in his letters to Timothy, says, 1 Timothy 2 and 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Can you imagine can you imagine the world we would be in right now if every individual strove to live in all godliness and honesty? Can you imagine? I can only imagine what it would be like. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, he says this, For the love of money, I I know all you know this, but I, I point out, he didn't say that money is. He says the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have earned from, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee, flee. Somebody say flee, flee. Our problem in a lot of situations is we don't flee. We try to see how close we can get, oh sorry, how close we can get to it without being damaged by it. And Paul says, run from it. Not, oh man, flee, 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 flee. These things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Flee these things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, pursue godliness. I mean, I've used the physical now several times throughout the last couple of weeks, but what, what would you think of me if I just sat here and go, man, I want to be, I want to be built. I want, I want, man, I want bulging biceps and I want to be cut and ripped. Man, I want to be, I just, man, I want to be built. I want to be in shape. Man, it'd be great. Finally, you'd be like, would you just shut up? Either go do something to get that way or quit talking about it. Because talking about it and doing nothing proves... Well, we, we talk a good talk a lot of times. Don't, don't raise your hand. It's one of those questions. This is you and Jesus. How many of you want to be spiritual? You want to, you want a relationship, a deeper relationship with God. You want a stronger walk with God. You want to be more like Him. 
If I were to ask you for that and ask for a response, probably 99% of you would raise a hand. But are you doing this? Man, I want to be more like God. Be nice to be more like Jesus. Be nice to... What are you doing? It's bad enough when we do that and don't do. What's worse is when we do that and then conduct ourselves in ways that completely contradict that. Man, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. Where's the cookies? I really want to lose weight. We got some sodas in our house left over from, I think we had the youth committee over after back to school revival. I think it's from that. I'm not even really a big Sprite drinker. But water, Sprite. Water, Sprite. I, 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 we, I made up my mind after oh, coming out of Labor Day weekend, starting that Tuesday after Labor Day. I'm getting down to business, Gus. It's time to lose some weight. About two weeks later, and I'm still putting sprites in the freezer at the last minute before dinner so I can drink a soda instead of water. My, my, I'm, my wife is probably tired of hearing me talk about it. I wonder if God gets that way sometimes with us. God, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be like you. I wanna be like you. And we keep running to this. Hang on, this is the last Thursday of this, so maybe, maybe next will get better. Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It will come. It will come. You and I may end up dying without it coming, but it will come. And we don't know when it will come, and it will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Seeing that all this is going to go away. Seeing that all of this is going to change. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Someone tell me what does all leave out? What part of your life does all leave out? Does it leave out your job, your career? Does it leave out your family? Does it leave out what you do for pleasure? I don't know why, I don't know why, I don't know why we are always trying to figure out how we can justify being more and more like the world or we can justify being more and more involved in worldly activities. And I am concerned about, this is Thursday night, this is the night I get to freely pastor. I'm concerned about a few of you young adults and some of the activities you're participating in and the way you're making justifications about it. There are plenty of ways to get good exercise. And some of you are justifying a certain activity because it's good exercise. 
You in physical contact with the opposite sex you are not married to, I don't want to hear about good exercise. There's tracks you can go run. There's weight lifting places you can go to. There's other exercises you can do all by yourself if you're looking for good exercise. You don't have any idea what I'm talking about? Thank God. If some of you think I might be talking about what you think you think I might be talking about, I am. And the only reason I'm not calling it directly out is just to be a little bit of kinder, perhaps, than seeing all these things shall be dissolved. I mean, let me tell you something. Why in the world, if it's becoming okay for drag queens to sit in our libraries and read books to our children, that I should sit or stand in this pulpit and feel intimidated to do my best to try to help save your soul? I don't know why. Seeing all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness and godliness and conversation? Bishop just mentioned this Friday night, I think, in the leadership meeting, if not Saturday, but one of the times this weekend. That word conversation in the context of the King James is not conversation. That word in the Greek means manner of life. It means in every aspect of your life. In all things. That means what you text. That means what you post. That means what you watch. That means what you listen to. That means where you go. All conversation. All parts of life. And godliness. That means in the light of what is to come at some point in time. I, I've said this. I don't really know that this gener- that the generation after me feels the same way. I don't know. I don't know if my kids feel the same way as I did. I honestly, before God, this is no exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. I truly never thought I would graduate high school because I thought Jesus would come before I could. I definitely never thought I would get married. And I never thought I would have kids. Much less kids that are now, two of them at least, marrying age. The third one marrying age, but nowhere near ready for it. For no other, for no other reason, because he doesn't have the money. Not about his character or whatever. And he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, so I'm fine with that. Bottom line is, if the word of God is true, Jesus is coming back. And if somehow the next generation after me, he doesn't come, don't count God's promises as slack. Meaning, don't take his delay or what seems to be. There's a statement I've heard all my life. I heard, well, you know, when, you know, you're at a conference and it's, you know, it's an annual conference. You're going to start to say, well, we'll see you next year if the Lord tarries. The Lord's not tarrying. We say that because we think he could come now. And so if he doesn't come, well, I guess he's tarrying. No, he already knows when he's coming. 
And it may not, it may end up not being in my lifetime, which I don't see how unless I die prematurely. How I can live to be an old man and Jesus doesn't come back before I die, I don't know. But even if he doesn't, the scripture says it's going to happen. And the bottom line is, whether it's my lifetime or not, I think we all should be able to agree we're closer than we've ever been to it. And so Peter says, because of that, what kind of person should you be? Let's look. I want. I want to show you. I'm wrapping up on this godliness one. Let me get. Let me show you two Old Testament examples that, to me, illustrate godliness. Genesis 17 and verse one says, "When Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect." Amplified, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk and live habitually before me and be perfect, blameless, wholehearted, complete. Here, here is what I am going to give you, Abraham. And all I'm asking you to do is just simply walk faithfully with me. Habitually. Anybody got any habits, good or bad? Anybody got any habits? Yeah. If it's a habit, then you do it regularly, right? That's what he said to Abraham. I want you to walk regularly, consistently. Don't just walk before me on Sunday morning. Don't just walk before me on Sunday night. Don't just walk before me on Thursday night. But I want you to habitually walk before me. When you get up on Monday morning and go to work, or when you get up on Monday morning and go to school, or whatever else it is you're doing on a non-Lord's Day. Isn't that funny? We have the Lord's Day. I get part of that, and I'm all far part of that. Why in the world we can't give God all basically one day of our week? But that doesn't mean that's the only day that belongs to him. All the other six are his as well. (laughs) Because Paul said, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Which is a form of worship. And 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 then look at this one. I guess maybe that one's more about an instruction to godliness, an example. But I, I think this is one of the most perfect examples of someone who apparently achieved the ultimate standard of godliness and, 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 and how it was done. Look at how it was done. And Enoch... walked with God, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. If I tried to run at full speed and make laps around this sanctuary, all the way around the perimeter of these chairs, I I might be able to make a couple of laps at full speed. If I tried to jog... I could, I could go for even a few more laps than that. But I believe that I could spend hours 
hours. Hours. Just simply walking. May not be very fast. May not be breaking any speed records. But simply one step at a time, consistently, habitually walking. And, and, and think about, think about men and women of scripture and the accomplishments. Think about the great heroes of faith and what they did. And, you know, David and Joseph and Daniel and Noah and, and, and just read through Hebrews chapter 11 and all of the things that were accomplished by faith. And not one single one of those people had the reward that Enoch got. They all died. Great things by faith, but they all died. But one man just simply learned how to find a faithful, consistent routine of walking with God day after day. And in fact, the scripture says he did that for 365 years. How many days are there in a year? Kind of interesting that that Enoch walked with God 365 years and there's 365 days in a year. I just simply need to walk with God every day. And God looks at somebody who walks with him faithfully and says, you know what? I got a little special reward for you. You know what that means? There's not one single person in this place, not one single person that does not have the ability to simply walk with God. God is not impressed by your momentary spurts of glory. God is not impressed by the spiritual Halley's Comets who blast across the horizon of the church and everybody watches them come and go. And while they're watching this phenomenon come and go, there's a bunch of unnoticed people that before it came, they were walking. And after it goes, they're going to be walking. And when the next thing blows by, they're going to be walking. And when the next person comes and gets everybody's attention, they're going to be walking. And at the end of the day, they're just going to be walking. And God's going to look down and go, you're like me and you're becoming more and more like me. And I've got something for you. Not because of some great accomplishment that you can't achieve, but simply because you walk with me. Lloyd-Jones, I've mentioned him a couple of times now. I've told you before, I've been reading a bunch of his books lately. To be godly really means, and there's a typo here, my apologies. To be godly really means that you are always, always, always conscious that you are doing everything in the sight of God. Everything. Everything. Isn't it, it's so crazy to me. And I've been there. I've done this at times and probably still do it. But we, we, we get this mindset that, well, you know what? I, I, if I can do certain things and get away, if my parents don't find out about it, I get away with it. 
I can cut corners if my boss don't find out about it. I can get away with it. Who cares if your parents find out? Who cares if your boss finds out? The one that matters the most sees it all. It is to be always conscious that you are doing everything, everything, everything in the sight of God. We went from faith to patience. All of those things kind of are internal, have to do with me. And now this begins to focus more on him and me becoming like him. Those other things are parts of the foundation that I need to build on. But to that, I need to be increasing in my God-likeness. And so then to that, Peter says we are to add brotherly love. The word love here, or the word charity, no, excuse me, brotherly love here, means, it is the Greek word, Philadelphia, it means the love of brothers or sisters, brotherly love. In the New Testament, it's the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. The root word of that means fond of brethren. Fond of brethren. And brethren here is not gender specific. It's the context of the church. I am supposed to add brotherly kindness or affection for my brother's And my sisters. There are people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Profess to be dedicated and committed to Him. And want nothing to do with horizontal relationships in the body of Christ. I'm going to use church as the example, but hopefully I don't have to say it. This is not all about church. It's not all about coming to church. It's just the safe example, and it's an example off of the top of my head. But people who come in late and leave as soon as the first opportunity is given without making one single connection. Peter says, don't stop at how much you're like God. Don't stop at becoming more and more like God. You need to add to your love for each other. I I, I don't know how you feel. I, I, I don't know how you feel about it. And it's not. I'm sorry. You may maybe you think it is, but whatever. It's not about my position here. It is not about my title. It's not about my job. I do not have the words to express what the body of Christ means to me. I'm I'm usually, you know what, it would be fine with me. It would be absolutely fine with me if every Sunday night we had food and fellowship after service. And I'm usually, a lot of times, one of, not the, but one of the last ones to leave. Because I just thoroughly enjoy being with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And Peter says we are supposed to add on that to our godliness. He says, Paul says in Romans 12 and 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Man, I I know it's often my go-to, and I've actually used it less and less, but still use it. But listen to what the message Bible says. Be good friends who love deeply. Be good friends who love deeply. And practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. Work at not having to be in the spotlight. Work at not having to have your name called. I was talking to Brother and Sister Reaver Saturday at, at Julian Tabarez's wedding and passing on the way out and we were, we were in common. We got, we, we got to briefly talking about how we, we are becoming more and more known by our kids. Oh, you're, you're, you're Esther's dad, or you're Timothy. Oh, you're, you're Nathaniel. Oh, you're Elizabeth's dad. Yeah. I mean, before I was their dad, I was, I was me. (laughs) But you know what? That's actually not too bad of a thing. I tell you what, it's not quite easy for us to do when it comes to Positions and places in the body. Practice playing second fiddle. You're not practicing playing second fiddle when you are upset and have an attitude because you don't think you're getting the recognition you deserve. You are not practicing playing second fiddle when you think you should be picked for the job and somebody else got picked over you. I'm not practicing playing second fiddle if the only time I can worship is when I'm up in front of everybody. I'm not practicing playing second fiddle if the only time I personally am engaged in a church service is when I have a responsibility for that service. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. Maybe you have have or you haven't. And I'm realized by pointing this out, I may be undermining what I'm doing. But I have tried lately, the last several months at least, more and more, when I come to a leadership meeting where Bishop is teaching, rather than finding my spot in the back and being comfortable, finding my place in the first or the second row. First of all, I get irritated when I come into church and the first and second rows are empty like they are tonight. So why should I harp on that and then when it comes my turn to be a one seated, find myself way in the back? Man, I, there, there, you know, there's, it's not all and I don't want to be lumped in the category, but you know, preachers, oh, by the way, I just, by the way, anybody remember first weekend of June, my despair? About to go on vacation, lost my ring, been wearing my older ring the last couple of months. 
I, I went yesterday to empty out my whole thing of socks to find my socks and sitting at the bottom of that little bin. Man, uh, I feel so much better. Anyway, pre- preachers kind of get known for, sorry, I was playing with it and it just reminded me. You know, some preachers get a reputation that if they're not preaching, they're, they don't do anything. Practice, practice, playing, practice. Practice supporting one another. Practice not having a bad attitude when somebody comes ask you to do something you don't feel like doing. Well, that's not my job. Go talk to so-and-so. Really? Where, where, where does that fit in brotherly kindness? Brotherly. You know, we, a lot of us, we have no trouble with sinnerly kindness. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's, and I realize it's the same way naturally speaking, man. You can, you, siblings can tear each other apart and still have a wonderful relationship. And I don't think that's really the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. First Thessalonians 4 and 9. But as, listen to what Paul, listen, this is what an amazing compliment he gives to the church at Thessalonica. As touching brotherly love, you don't even need me to write to you. I don't even need to talk to you about this. You ever, you ever, you know, you finally reach the point as a parent when you take, you know, when your kids are younger and you're getting ready to leave them at somebody's house, you know, whether they're going to a friend's house or if they're, they're being babysat, you know, there's usually that four or five point list that you as you're pulling into the neighborhood you're running over and don't forget your manners please and thank you and that 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 you, you finally reach the point a couple times i reach the point where i'm like do i need to tell you guys no we're good okay paul says i don't even need to talk to you about this anymore you have got this down so much i don't even need to tell you about it because you are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are all in Macedonia. You, you, you hear what he's saying? You guys do an awesome job at brotherly love and being kind to one another. But still, I am challenging you to increase more and more. I'm not rebuking you. I, I'm not challenging you to do something because you're not doing it. You are doing it. I don't even need to tell you about it, but I am going to encourage you. Let it increase. Hebrews 13 and 1. Let, let brotherly love continue. Allow it to continue. Make room for brotherly love. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I love that, I love that statement there in the middle. Love the brotherhood, love the brotherhood. 
love, not just, it, notice, he's not saying just love your brothers and sisters. He's saying love, love what it is. Man, I love the people. I love getting together with the people of God. I, I love being a part of it. Man, I, I love the connection I have. I, I love getting together with people of like precious faith and sharing and ministering and encouraging and just being together. I love that. He's saying love it. Not, oh man, we gotta do it again. Here we go again. And I understand usually people that have that attitude, they're pointing fingers and making it about somebody else. But the bottom line is it's usually about us. Cause I can go into something with a bad attitude to begin with and it may, it might have been the most awesome thing I ever experienced. But if I go in with preconceived ideas, Love the brotherhood. We, we, we teach and we believe, we preach, preach, teach, believe that the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. We believe that the only scriptural evidence we can find on a consistent basis that indicated, indicates a person has received the gift of the Holy Ghost is speaking in other tongues. But, Jesus did not associate that with the marks of discipleship. It's not by speaking in other tongues that men will know you're my disciples. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Talk in tongues from the time you get up until the time you go to bed at night. If you don't love your brothers and your sisters, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. We know that we have passed from death to life because we spoke in tongues. Nope. We may know we got the Holy Ghost because we speak in tongues. But the way that we know we pass from death to life is we love the brethren. If you're sitting here tonight and you don't love your brothers and sisters, I don't care if you spoke in tongues and went down in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, you have not passed from death to life. Oh, hallelujah. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know, I like coming to church, but I just don't care for the people. We probably don't care for you in the flesh, but in the spirit. First John three fifteen: whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, hateth his brother, his brother. I'm talking about the sinner here, his brother. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we know the love of God. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And most of us sitting here tonight, there is a high likelihood that we will never have to give our lives physically for someone else. Didn't say it'll never happen. And I know the day and time we're living in. But the bottom line is, I may never be physically asked to lay down my life for you, but I can choose on a daily basis to lay down my life for my brothers and my sisters. When I'm determining what I'm going to do on a daily basis and I decide, you know what, somebody needs me and instead of doing this over here that I want to do, I'm going to do what they need me to do. 
Instead of me walking into church and just plopping down, I'm here and I'm going to see if God's got something for me. And if he doesn't, then oh well, it would have been nice. It's coming in and saying, you know what? I don't know if I'll get anything from God in this service today or not. I don't know if God will touch me. I don't know if God will speak to me. But there's probably somebody else here that needs something. There's probably somebody else that's come in with a weight and a burden. And they need God to do something. And so I'm going to put my life aside. That's one of the great blessings of being responsible for leading the service and preaching and all that. I'm, I don't mean this boasting because people in this role do it all the time too. But you know what? I do that all the time. I, you're all smart. You adults at least are all wise and smart enough to know every single time the preacher gets in the pulpit. <laughs> I don't always come to the pulpit internally. Woo, boy, I cannot wait to do this. Sometimes I'm walking like this outwardly and inside I'm like, oh, oh I can't believe I got it. I don't forgot. I don't know where you are. You ain't talking to me. You ain't helping me. And I got to get up here and say something. I lay down my life. I guarantee you Precious saints that are committed week after week after week to ministering to these children in Sunday school. I am certain that every Sunday morning you don't bounce out of the bed. Can't wait to go deal with a bunch of two and three year olds this morning. Woo! Don't mean that against the children. That takes energy. Takes strength. You've given all week long. You know what? Instead of Call Sister Angie, I'm sorry, I ain't going to be there today. No, you lay down your life for the brethren. And this is how we perceive the love of God. How do we know we got the Holy Ghost? Speaking other tongues. How do we know we're disciples? By this, shall we know. How, how many of you... How many of you love God tonight? How many of you love, this is not really a trick question. I mean, it's, but I mean, you don't have a choice but to raise your hand. I mean, if you don't love God, you got a problem. So you're really in a rock and a hard place. How many of you love God? I got my hand up for myself. We do not know that we love God because we just raised our hand and said we do. We don't know that we love God just because we say to Him in our own personal time of prayer we do. In fact, you don't even need to tell Him you love Him. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from Him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you care. I wish you'd leave me alone. Get away. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Ah, you guys, you care. Ring, 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 ring. Ah, no way. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. I was going out that door, but Jalen's over there. Jesus, I love you, I love you. I ain't talking to him. 
Jesus, I love you. I love you. Oh, man, they ain't left yet. Jesus, I love you. Oh, if they leave, I can get up. Jesus, I love We know that we love him because we love. Hello, folks. I'm getting to the center next, but we're not done with this. I'm almost done with it, but not quite. We know that we love him because we love. Most of us do a lot better job at loving the sinner. And the reason is because we can put a blank face on the sinner. We love the lost. We love the lost because I don't know the lost. Loving you is a whole nother thing because I've gotten to know you. I know this next statement is going to be one of those trivial things. I've heard a few people that fuss about it and argue with it, and I, I don't like it, but I really think it is the truth. He never told us we had to like each other. And I believe I can truly love you without necessarily liking you. And I expect the same thing. I'm not dumb enough to think that every person in this church loves me and thinks I am the greatest pastor that the world and that you'd wish you had no other pastor, but forget it. I know better than that, but that doesn't mean you don't love me and you can't love me. I may not like you. You may, you may, you may get on my nerves. And if you are really, 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 and I'm, I'm trying to make sure, because I know some of you, you're, you're really, but not really, 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 really. I mean, if you are like really, 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 really like to the, you know, 500th talkative and I'm with you for a while, you probably are going to get on my nerves. But I can still love you. If you're with me for several hours in a car ride and you like conversation, I'm probably going to get on your nerve. But you can still love me. Really, in some ways, it's kind of sad that he had to command us. Because I don't think anybody has to tell, you better love us. Are you kidding? But God so loved that he gave. So there you go. There's another thing. Don't say you love if you're not giving. Claim love all you want, but how are you giving? Because if you truly love in some form or fashion, you must be giving. Last one. Add to godliness brotherly kindness and then he says brotherly kindness to that add charity adam clark says this charity the word charity here in the greek is agape god's love this is love to the whole human race even to your persecutors love to god and the brethren they had love to all mankind they must also have True religion is neither selfish or insulated. Where the love of God is, bigotry cannot exist. Narrow, selfish people and people of a party who scarcely have any hope of the salvation of those who do not believe as they believe and who do not follow with them have scarcely any religion, though in their own apprehension none is so truly orthodox or religious as themselves. We will not, by the help and grace of God, we will not compromise what we believe. We will not compromise what we stand for. We will not compromise what we have established and believe are the doctrines of the Word of God. But at the same time, we must have a love. 
We must not isolate ourselves and think we are unable to impact and be impacted by others. Because we are to add charity. We're to add love. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Above everything else, put on charity. Because if the outer garment that I've got wrapped around me is charity, everything else must become subordinate to the love. Message Bible says, verse 14, this way, And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. If I'm dealing with you as my brother or sister, I need love. If I'm dealing with the ungodly and the sinner, I need love. Everything I do and say should be cloaked in love. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Listen, listen, you know, this, this is, this is, well, you know, I, I'll do good to you if you do good to me. I'll love you if you love me. It don't work that way. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would like, and as you would that men should do to you, also do them to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? Sinners also love those that love them. If all we do as the body of Christ is love those that love us, what have we done different than what the world does? They love those that love them. They treat those treat them nicely. I was in Home Depot a couple of weeks ago, and this lady came up to the self-checkout. Key word, lady, self-checkout. Checkout. Self-checkout. You do it yourself. If you don't want to do it yourself, there is a line for you. She puts her stuff down on the counter, and man, they, I mean, they've gotten they, they're, they're pretty high tech at Home Depot now, man. You get the you get the some stuff I always wanted to do and thought I'd never get to do it. I get to do it now, man. I get to shoot that little gun. Boom, click the barcode. She plops her stuff on the counter. One of the workers, one of the employees of Home Depot is standing there where doing what she's supposed to be doing. And she plops her stuff down, has no clue how to use it, and looks at the lady with one of the worst attitude and says, well, are you going to help me? And the lady's like, ma'am, it's self-checkout. Well, I don't know how to use it. Then get out of line. 
And she persists to stand there, and the Home Depot worker persists to stand where she was, not with an attitude, but she was doing what she was supposed to do. And she said to her several times, are you going to help me or not? The lady's like, not. And she didn't say it, but that's what her actions showed. There's five feet away, somebody will do it for you that knows how to do it. Finally, she gets her stuff to find and goes over to the other. And I I, I, I turned to the, the, late, the, the Home Depot worker. I said, ma'am, you, you are extremely gracious. She was obnoxious. But you know what? I don't know. I don't know if that lady was a, I don't know if the Home Depot worker was a Christian or not. The bottom line is she didn't give back what she was given. If, if, if sinners can treat those that treat them nicely in return nicely, what, what? Sit at a restaurant and server doesn't come through on the same time frame or you go off on them because you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Biting the head off of clerks at a store, biting the heads off of clerks at a store, or what? Really? Add to, add to, add to, charity, agape. Add to, build on, increase. I said it the last couple of weeks. I've said it several times, and Bishop said it Saturday night. He talked about the fact there's a lot of times we spend training and developing and equipping brand new people. And we must do that and we'll continue to do that. But the bottom line is we never graduate. Actually, we do graduate, but there's always another class, another school, another level. You're never finished with God growing and developing and adding to It is a never-ending process. He said, if you do this, if you add, if to your faith you add virtue and to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance and to temperance, patience and to patience, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity. If you do, if you are adding these things, you will never be barren. And again, that word barren means idle and you will not be unfruitful. So if I am idle and not involved in the work of God, or if I am not bearing any fruit, I need to see what needs to be added, what's lacking. Because the promise is, if these things are in you, if they are abounding in you, here is what will happen. Verse 9, and I'm almost done. Whoever lacks, this is the Amplified, whoever lacks these qualities is blind spiritually short-sighted, seeing only what is near to him and has become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. The word blind there in the King James is not blind. It, it's, it, it, the meaning there is not blind in the sense of completely unable to see, but it's, it's, it's opaque, it's smokiness. It's seeing, but you're not seeing clearly. Living Bible says anyone who fails to go after these additions to faith 
is blind indeed, or at least very short-sighted, and has forgotten that God delivered him from the old life of sin so that now he can live a strong, good life for the Lord. Brother Ron Bray asked the other day for my notes so he could kind of go through them some, and he emailed me a day or two ago. A very powerful point. It says that they are short-sighted. If you lack these things, you are short-sighted. Assuming all things are functioning as God intended and not any kind of issue or problem, when you are young, your vision is decent. But what part of it, the older you get, typically what part do you tend to lose? You tend to lose that short-sighted. I now wear glasses, not because I can't see Brother Alders clearly back there, because I can't see the words on my screen right here. So watch this, watch this. That when we're young, we have the ability for both. The older we get towards the end and the finish line, the less we see right here, but under most circumstances we're still able to see fairly clearly there. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because we look not at the things which are near, but at the things which are far. Because the things which are near are temporary. But the things which are far are eternal. And if I'm not careful, I can get very short-sighted and focused on adding things or pursuing things here and now that cause me to lose sight. But if I will focus on adding these things to my life, I will not just be short-sighted. I will progress spiritually the same as I may progress laterally. And the older I get, the more my focus becomes not on where I am right now, and what I'm going through right now, but where I am going. Not only am I looking at where I'm going because that's my hope. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. But not only am I looking ahead because it's my motivation to get me through what I'm going through, but I'm also looking ahead because it's my motivation to make sure I am preparing for where I'm going. Because it, I said it recently, in all my life at this point, the most sobering thing I have ever heard from anyone was just a couple of years ago, sitting in my grandmother's living room. She will turn 90 next month. She was at... No, no younger than her mid-80s when she said this. She has preached revivals for churches all over the South, Alabama, Mississippi, all over the place, involved in ministry all her life. Some of you have heard her preach, powerful woman of God. And I sat there as she looked across at me in her living room and said, I could have no more confidence in anyone else besides you to know that you're going to do what's necessary in these last few days to get me across the finish line. 
I mean, in my mind, I'm sitting in that living room and I see her is here. And she's saying to me, I am fully trusting you to help me to finish and get there. Are you, are you blind tonight? Are you blind tonight because you're lacking in some area? If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I don't have time to get all into it. I'm not going to get into it. But the, the implication of what Peter said is there is a responsibility on me to see that these things are being added. It is not just, okay, Lord, here you go. It is my diligence, giving all diligence, giving my effort, my labor, my attention to make sure these things are being added. Father, we sit here tonight, every one of us as temples of your spirit. Dwelling places, God, you have made each one of us to be a dwelling place for your spirit. God, I pray that by your grace, each one of us would be built up, grow into everything that you would have us to be. Help us tonight, God. There is not any of us that have or ever will fully add to our lives the fullness of what is available. But as long as we continue to live As long as we continue to walk with you, there are additions that can be made. And you promised, you promised, your word clearly promises that if these things are in us and they are abounding, then we will not be idle, we will not be unproductive, we will not be unfruitful in your kingdom, but actually quite the opposite. I pray tonight, God, for my brothers and sisters that are here, and I pray for myself that by your grace we will do our diligence, God. We would give all diligence to add in our lives, that we would add virtue to our faith, we would add knowledge to our virtue, that temperance would be added, that patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity, and that it would continue to be added, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being here tonight. Look forward to seeing you, hopefully, at some point in the next couple of days. In Jesus' name.